Awesome. Well, thank you guys for being here and showing up. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased and blessed by the turnout. It's probably because you heard there's pulled pork for dinner. <laughs> Self-deprecating humor is part of my personality type, as we'll study tonight. Um, anyway, um, so as promised, and I've been talking about, uh, about teaching this for a while. Actually, um, Pastor Allen... Recently, well, when we were talking, when we were talking about the the school that we we're going to do, the ministry school, before we reformed and, and, and aimed for this kingdom school on Wednesday nights, um, Pastor Allen says, "Well, tell me a little bit more about the Enneagram, and is this something that you'd want to want to teach?" And I said, "Well, I'd love to teach it. I'm by no means an authority on it. I'm a hobbyist, and some things about it that have been very beneficial to me. So I'd like to present some things." Um, and so uh, he, he was happy to give me an opportunity to do it. So I'm going to talk about that tonight. I, I just want to tell you by way of, of background that uh, <clears throat> I, uh, about two years ago, I was having lunch with a friend who was uh, on staff over at Believer Center. And uh, we're sitting down having lunch. And I was talking about a, re- a particular relationship in my life that was really uh, causing me a lot of difficulty. I was having a hard time seeing eye to eye with this person and, and, uh, and vice versa. And so there's a lot of, I felt a lot of relational strain. And, uh, and he says, do you know about the Enneagram? And I said, no, what's that? I never heard of it. So two years ago was the first time I'd heard about it. And he told me about this personality profile. And uh, as he explained it to me, he, he gave me some sites to go check out and the test to take. And, and, um, and so I, I, I took several tests. And probably like some of y'all, if you did multiple tests, you're like, uh, they all say I'm seven different personalities. So... I've got split personality disorder. Awesome. What's next? Um, next is counseling for you. Uh, now uh, we'll send you to Sam or Rosalie. This is how we build business from within for our friends. And uh, but anyway, that's that's kind of a common thing. In fact, I've even heard it, uh, a stat attributed to the testing uh, only being about 40% accurate as far as pointing you in the right direction. And then it's really incumbent on you to to do the research and figure out for yourself. Like, okay, this does not bear witness with me. This resonates, this one doesn't so much. And so to be able to go through and find out from the, the personality types uh, which one really resonates the most closely with, uh, with you um, puts you on the right trajectory as far as learning that kind of stuff. So what I found when I started uh, understanding this a little bit more, I uh, found out I was a, a, a nine, a type nine, a peacemaker. And my uh, wing is a one. Some people are pointing and nodding and laughing. And awesome. My wing is a one, the reformer. So um, that's, that's, I find that sometimes a very amusing combination because I feel like I'm gracious and, and also very uh, critical at, at times. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a weird mix, I would say. So I, I have this, you know, strain, that I, this conflict that I live with and, and deal with. But um, one of the things I discovered... Through, uh, through digging into this and, and studying a little bit more was that I, I now had more grace and empathy for other people who weren't like me. Um, people who were motivated by different things, driven by different things, responding to the same exact event in a different way than I respond to it. And, uh, and so it was good for me to see that, definitely, because all of a sudden I was able to, to slow down, tap the brakes and say, all right, let me be more gracious with this person. And um, I found this quote. Let me, I snapped a picture of it. And I want to pull it up because this was really, this is a, a Longfellow quote. Um, 
Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. That was, that was really a profound discovery for me to recognize, okay, I need to have some grace for people because I don't understand where, they're, where they've been, what they've walked through, what they've endured, what they've suffered, uh, the kind of upbringing they've had, the, the culture they were raised in, whether they were nurtured or whether they were ignored, all those things. I just see them acting out in front of me in a way that doesn't jive with what I, what I expect from people. And so that's where the tension arises. That's where the conflict that we, we discussed last week arises. And so to be able to, to see these things and have some empathy for other, other people and recognize they're not all like me and to praise God that they're not all like me. We don't want everyone on the planet the same way. I'm, I'm sure there have been studies about, and Aaron probably, uh, I'll call out Aaron here in a second, but he could probably give us, if, if the world was only nines, you know, this would be the outcome. If the world were only eights, this would be the outcome, et cetera. I'm sure he's got, he's got some insights into that. But um, so anyway, for, for the Enneagram, for me, understanding that kind of thing and learning that, that information was really helpful for me because uh, one of the things I discovered about nines is we're the least self-aware. Um, and that, I think it's funny. We're the least self-aware. I always like mystified by people who say things like, yeah, I can't have cottage cheese after 3 p.m. And I, I look at them like, how did you ever figure that out? <laughs> I, I would eat cottage cheese after 3 p.m. 10 days in a row and have like upset stomach or whatever and go, man, I don't feel great. Where are the Tums? But I don't have that kind of self-knowledge of, of, of correlating things and cause and effect and all that kind of stuff. And definitely, it, uh, it works that way when it comes to emotional reactions and responses to things, uh, spiritual reactions and responses to things. And so what I found with this is a little bit of a roadmap to, to, to things that, I'm, that, I, that are tendencies of mine. Uh, so I want to start with looking at a very key scripture. This is Genesis 3, 6 through 10. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Um, this, is, uh, this is basically outcome of eating forbidden fruit. And this is something that fallen man has dealt with since that point. And it's this, this idea of hiding, this idea of masking and covering your vulnerability, not showing weakness, covering shame, and projecting uh, a, a sense of strength and a sense of protection for yourself. But obviously we know all of the evil that came from the knowledge of good and evil. We understand how uh, we resorted to blame, we resorted to being uh, greedy and selfish and, and hoarding and, and all these negative things that are, are not a portrayal of the self-giving love of the Trinity uh, that we were created by and designed to be a part of. Uh, we were not a reflection of, of the heart of God, even though we were made in his image. And so what we see in 
in this hiding is something that still exists today. And we still do it. We do it all the time. We hide in different things. Every day we put our mask up. When somebody asks a certain question about what kind of music do you like or uh, what's your favorite food or any kind of, any kind of thing, you're, you're wanting to impress, you're wanting to project, you're wanting to be accepted, you're wanting to be loved. And so you go to these answers hoping, sometimes we're, we can be honest, but a lot of times we're, we're giving an answer. The priority is not necessarily honesty, it's keeping connection, keeping relational connection. And so these, these masks that we wear, we get this word persona, it's Latin for the word mask. The mask in psychological terms is worn to satisfy, satisfy the demands of the situation or environment. It's a public personality as opposed to the inner personality or the true self. Now we've talked about that, I, I touched on that briefly the last week. The true self, this person that is, is standing before the Lord, there's no hiding. There's just, you know, you being totally vulnerable, open, raw, and completely yourself in front of the Lord, and Him loving you completely, Him accepting you completely without condition, uh, embracing you like the Father embraced the filth-covered son who returned from being with the pigs uh, in the story of the prodigal. Um, the, the love, the, the reckless love of God that we talk about, kicking down you know, walls and tearing down lies and that kind of thing. So that's what we're looking at when we talk about this. Um, Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. This is a... I want to be careful when we, we lay this out because I do believe there is healthy introspection, but I also believe there's unhealthy introspection. And I think you, you guys have uh, experienced a little of both and maybe uh, are wise to how it can be negative and, and, and uh, long-term takes your eyes off the Lord when you're just navel-gazing all the time or doing the what was me thing and looking at your own condition instead of looking at the goodness of God and the love of God, which is what transforms you. Doesn't, you don't get transformed by, by working on yourself and by, by digging into your own willpower. You get transformed by the renewing of your mind to the truth that God speaks over you. And we'll touch on that just in a second. Um, Flannery O'Connor has this quote, To know oneself is, above all, to know what one lacks. It is a measure of one's, it's to measure oneself against truth, not the other way around. The first product of self-knowledge is humility. I gotta read more Flannery O'Connor. She's, uh, she's astounding. Okay, now, when it comes to the Enneagram, I wanna talk about this. Um, I regard this simply as a resource, as a tool. I, I think, like anything that's, that gets uh, popular and trendy, this thing has existed, and I'll talk about origins in a minute, in some form or another for, depending on who you talk to, centuries and definitely has come to its modern form over the, over the last several decades. And uh, I, like I said, I hadn't heard about it until two years ago, and some of you heard about it for the first time last week when I gave you the homework, and some of you have known about it for multiple years. Um, and so people can latch on to it and turn it into the next big thing. This is, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I was talking with Mike about some of the trends over that I've seen in, in the last few decades in Christianity. Uh, the prayer of Jabez, you guys remember that? Uh, experiencing God, uh, a few different things that um, these books came out, yeah, Spirit Filled Life, people, things, books came out and, and concepts came out and people just latched onto it and they're like, oh, this is amazing, this is great. And, and we gotta regard those things for what they are. 
their tools, they're subservient to the word of God and the spirit of God. And we, we do not give them priority over the, the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. They're, they just use, they're only used to supplement those things and not to, not to uh, circumvent them or, or overshadow them. They can't overshadow them. But what I, what I see this is like other psychological tools or devices, um, really other, even, even philosophy, you look at philosophy, whether a person was a believer in Jesus or not, uh, what a lot of philosophers were able to do with, with the intellect and the mind that God created them with were to make observations about created order, to make observations about human nature, to make some conclusions and some theories and things like that. And they were tested over time and, and uh, shown to be uh, an accurate reflection of how God designed things and created things to flow and operate. So I think there's some things with... Um, that we see that in the psychological tools that we use, you know, we use all the time. Uh, we in the church use them. Um, I will say this: um, I've heard some negative talk, and only recently, uh, but some some kind of negative press about Enneagram. And I just want to be upfront with you and let you know I've heard that recently. And and uh, so I'm, I'm telling you, um, you know, keep your keep your mind attuned to the fact that uh, man's wisdom is not the same as God's wisdom. And you take everything, like Paul says in the in Thessalonians, and test everything and hold on to what's good. Um, the, the two of the um, most prominent, like developers of the modern Enneagram, uh, both uh, South American uh, psychologists in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and on. Um, one of them had had a lot of uh, research that he did in Eastern religions. Um, he had some Catholic background. Um, some of them, you know, there's a story of one of them taking mescaline for enlightenment or whatever. And so, uh, obviously, we don't uh, get our truth from mescaline. We get our truth from the Holy Spirit. But the things that, uh, that as this thing has been uh, developed and things that have been deduced from the understanding of Enneagram, uh, there have been several Christian books written uh, about the, the perspective of the Enneagram that I think are useful in, in, uh, in showing this as a... Uh, for what it is, a, a useful tool, um, nothing to make a religion out of, just something to say, oh, I, that helps me understand this about myself or this about others and that kind of thing. And hold it in proper regard, that's what I'm, that's what I'm uh, asking you to do. Uh, <clears throat> this is a, a way of gaining insight into our self-limiting habits, uh, the way we've been conformed to the world. Um, when it, it's, it's said that, <clears throat> At a young age, uh, you are presented with some kind of crisis. Um, every one of us at some point or another had to make a decision on how to respond to a crisis. And we had a choice to make. And our, uh, if we chose a certain action and it was met with favorable results, then we locked that in the vault upstairs and said, okay, got it. So this is how I deal with crisis in the future. So there's some theory as far as development in, in each person of where their personality comes from. Um, I'm a middle child. I have an older sister and a younger brother. I called myself the peacemaker years before I knew about the Enneagram. I, actually, I called myself Switzerland because as much as the time as I could, I stayed neutral. But I told you I've been watching that World War II documentary uh, by Ken Burns. And every time they show the map of Europe and all the red was where the Nazis were occupying and, uh, and then they showed where the American and British forces, the Allies were pushing back the, the Germans. And right smack dab in the middle of red was Switzerland, not red at all, just kind of sitting there. 
I'm like, how, how did, I have to read up on this, how did Hitler stay out of Switzerland? What did they do? But they, they had some kind of skill, some kind of charm, and I thought, that's me, I'm, I'm Switzerland. I'm a mediator, I'm a problem solver, I'm the way, I'm the one who can figure out how to keep the others from, you know, killing each other. And so that was, that was a role, and somehow, and I, I haven't, I've not necessarily tracked down or pinpointed anything specifically about, oh, it was that one time when this happened. But I do know that over time I had this, I, I kind of stepped into this role of being a mediator in my family, a peacemaker in my family. And even uh, when my parents divorced, and some, you know, some of you heard my testimony about my, my mother, um, when, even when my parents divorced, I found myself still being the mediator, trying to make peace between, um, not my parents, but my you know, my siblings and each of the parents, like, well, think of it this, uh, this way and think of it this way and keep this in mind. Uh, one of the things about nines is uh, a high gift of empathy and a, an ability to see the perspectives of the different types. In fact, it's said, nines can see every other perspective but their own. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what their own perspective is. I think that's interesting. All right, so we'll talk about that more. You're probably going to get more, too much of nine tonight, and I apologize for that, but that's, I'm just basing you from my own reference point. So, all right. Um, so we, the way the way you seek transformation, though, first and foremost, is from the Lord, from receiving the truth of God. I love what, uh, what Shauna does and, and the people who practice the transformational prayer ministry um, and, and where they seek the, what the Lord says about it, an event or a situation or an identity. Uh, they, they constantly put... Uh, lies of the enemy down before the Lord and say, what do you say about this, Lord? And they, and they listen to the, the voice of God to, to shed the truth on, this, on the situation. So it's good to know uh, those things and be aware of some of the lies we've been, we've been believing. Romans 12, 4 through 5, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of another, one of another. <clears throat> so there's another uh, evident, there's, there's more scriptural evidence that um, we're not supposed to be um, a homogenous group. We're not supposed to be uh, mirror images of one another. God not only designed us with different personalities, but he, he in, in designed us each with an, a complex individuality and a complex uniqueness that no one else on the planet now or before or after has had. And that, that boggles the mind when you think about the, what, what it takes for that to happen. But we've all been influenced by different things, different variables, different factors, different DNA, et cetera, et cetera, to make the very unique people that we are, different experiences. And so um, in the body of Christ, we have different functions and serve different purposes, uh, but we're working together and we're working under the head of Jesus and we're growing, we're growing into that, growing into the fullness of what God has called us to be. All right, so let me tell you before we dive in here <clears throat> a few things. Uh, one of the things I find is a, uh, some of the pros of using this personality test system, the Enneagram. Helpful in understanding yourself. It shows you areas to work on. It shows the need for all types and it grows empathy for those different from us. It's helpful in understanding how to be in relationship with different types. Cons, uh, it can be used to stereotype others. It's actually uh, 
kind of fun sometimes, but it's not a healthy ap application of it to go, oh, you're a total, you're a total three, look at those shoes, or whatever. Uh, and so uh, th those kinds of things that, that we, we, we use to where really it can be a shortcut to learning somebody's personality or, or becoming a friend or developing a relationship. Um, and we don't want shortcuts to building a relationship. It can lead to assumptions and a false sense of understanding, like, oh, I got you figured out. Um, I've told you all this uh, in, in times past, and, and I, I admit this with some embarrassment. Um, this is the one, my one wing where I'm a reformer and I'm a you know, rule follower and I want people to do things the right way. Um, nothing riles me up more than crosstown traffic and people driving badly and not using their turn signal and doing U-turns where it's clearly marked that there's no U-turn here and all these kinds of things. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know how many times I shake my head at people. Um, it's constant and I, I'm not proud of it. But here's what I do. When someone angers me in traffic, the first thing I do is I search their car for bumper stickers. <laughs> I've told y'all this, some of y'all have heard this before, but I was like, oh, of course they cut me off. Look who they voted for. Or, no wonder they're not using their turn signal. Their child is an honor student at such and such school. Ah, that makes perfect sense. And it's just like this dumb categorization thing that I do just to deal with my, my pent-up anger, which is one of my, uh, which is my uh, underlying emotion as a, as a nine. Talk about that more in a second. Um, but that's a shortcut. And, of course, I have no sense of a person based on the car they drive, or whether where their kid is an honor roll student, or who they voted for, or what what sports team they cheer for, or any of that kind of stuff. So let's not be lazy. Um, I love it where Paul talks about in First Corinthians that we used to look at Christ according to the flesh, but we do so no longer. Um, and so now we don't judge each other according to the flesh. Uh, so I think understanding the enneagram for ourselves and for people that we're in relationship with is useful in helping us understand some of the challenges that we're faced with and also understand some of the strategies and, and connecting, having better relational connection, but definitely not to be used as a weapon or to be used as something that gives you a superiority complex or makes you feel like you're holding all the, you know, all the good cards or whatever. All right. Okay, so as I said, the origins, it's interesting. If you search origins of the Enneagram, you're going to find a whole bunch of different theories, but no one has an actual precise, this is when this happened, this is when this happened. Uh, when I was first told about it, I was told it was developed by uh, some Christian monks living in community who noticed uh, the disparity of, of personality types and tried to figure out through the scriptures and the life of Jesus um, what the different types were, what the different personality types were. Uh, I read about um, a, a fourth century desert father. The, the desert fathers were, were people who lived, and mothers were uh, religious, uh, not religious, but people who were... Um, gathered in Egypt in the desert, and they, they gathered in a kind of a monastic existence. They lived together, they, they, they fasted, they, they meditated and prayed, read the scriptures, and, and those kinds of things. And there's a, a desert father named Evagrius Ponticus, and uh, he's been credited with the earliest expressions of the Enneagram, uh, which was using a geometric figure from Pythagoras, which we'll, we'll, I'll show you in a little bit. And, and he connected it to some of the fleshly vices, like what Catholics call the seven deadly sins, um, that we only overcome by virtues of the Spirit. The modern Enneagram is credited to Oscar Ishazo and Claudia Naranjo, Claudio Naranjo, both of them South Americans with psychology backgrounds. 
There are several books on the Enneagram written from a Christian worldview, including this book, which I'll read a little bit from, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile, and The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective by Richard Rohr, who lives in town. You guys probably have heard of that. Um, let me read a couple of quotes out of here. I told you last week, and I love this quote, uh, Enneagram, some people are worried about personality profiles because they put you in a box. And, and, uh, and the authors of this book say, actually, this tells you the box that you're already in and shows you how to get out of it, which, which I like. It has to do with self-knowledge. Most folks assume they understand who they are when they don't. They don't question the lens through which they see the world, where it came from, how it shaped their lives, or even if the vision of reality it gives them is distorted or true. Even more troubling, most people aren't aware of how things that helped them survive as kids are now holding them back as adults. Uh, another, another quote here, working with the Enneagram helps people develop the kind of self-knowledge they need to understand who they are and why they see and relate to the world the way they do. When that happens, you can start to get out of your own way and become more of the person God created you to be. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. I wanna give you a brief overview of some of the components of the Enneagram, we'll talk about the types. And then the last half hour, which only gives me 15 minutes, so I'm gonna be disciplined and keep on that, but the last half hour, uh, you're gonna get in groups by Enneagram types. And if you had some confusion with your number and you're like, I'm not sure if this is me or not, and you, some of you didn't have enough time to, to, to study and get a, like a pretty good grasp on, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm a four or whatever. Um, I'm gonna read some of the descriptions and then you say, that one seems to be the closest, so I'm gonna go sit in that group. And then you can sit in that group and figure out if it's, if it's for you or not. Uh, so we'll, we'll do that in a second. Uh, the concept of the Enneagram, as I said, you form uh, a course of action. You find a course of action to deal with a crisis or some kind of situation that you're in. And it works for you, and so you, you make a note, that's, that's what I gotta stick with. A belief was introduced and then reinforced. And so these nine types emerge. So we have types, we have wings of those types, we have triads, and, uh, and then we have this thing called stress and security. Uh, so it's a complex system. And uh, Harvey asked a question last week about how does it compare to like Myers-Briggs, and Aaron answered uh, the, the, the difference is all the other personality profiles are strictly psychological. Enneagram has a spiritual component to it that shows you um, areas of growth and, and paths for growth and, and, and getting out, of, like it says, getting out of your own way. It, it acknowledges that we are uh, flawed human beings, not just intellects that have different ways of processing information, but we are people with flaws and people with uh, things in our own stories that we're trying to deal with and overcome to get stronger and to get better. Okay, so look at your, oh, let me talk about the resources real quick before we jump into that. Uh, on the first page of your notes, your hand out there, these recommended resources. Personality type, the personality tests, if you didn't get to take one, you, you didn't hear about it last week or you weren't here, uh, you can take a test, free test at ninetypes.com or truity.com. Take the Enneagram, the Ready, R-H-E-T-I. Uh, the website enneagraminstitute.com has a lot of really useful information about not only type descriptions and wings, but also about your compatibility with other, other types, which I think is really useful. Uh, Becky and I have been, been working uh, through understanding our types in relationship to one another in marriage and uh, how to cover each other, how to watch out for, for things for each other and how to be a blessing to each other. 
The book I just showed you, The Road Back to You, is a great book. There are others out there. Um, music, uh, th this is kind of fun. There's, a, there's a, an artist called Sleeping at Last, and, uh, and he, he did this project where he wrote, I actually don't know the full, the full story behind how the project was created, but he wrote songs for each of the nine personality types, and they're beautiful. What I would recommend is when you go listen to them, Read the lyrics as well. Now it's available at Apple Music or Spotify or other di digital media outlets, but, or even probably you could just find it on YouTube. But read the lyrics as you listen to it and have a tissue handy. Because what we did was uh, the five of us, my, my wife and three daughters, were sitting outside and uh, had the little Bluetooth speaker and we played each of our songs. And we're sitting there like... <laughs> We're gushing all over, you know, blowing snot up, snot bubbles, and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful thing. So that's a fun thing to do. Uh, he also has podcasts uh, about each of the songs, where he goes into depth on each of the personality types. And there is, I don't know the artist's name, uh, the actual guy's name, but the the band name is Sleeping at Last. Um, that's on your, that's on your hand up. And then you can find all kinds of. Uh, like Instagram accounts that have to do with Enneagram and uh, podcasts and all kinds of stuff. All right, turn the page and let's look at page two. I want to tell you, I'm not going to read over each, each point of this, but I do want to say this. Uh, I joked last week about Aaron was going to, uh, I'll be teaching Aaron's notes. It's no joke anymore. He, he sent me this overview information, which I, I think was really well done. So uh, this is Aaron. Raise your hand there, Aaron. He's new on staff with us. He's our communications director. And we've talked a whole lot about Enneagram, and, and he's got way more uh, insight and experience with this, with this than I do. So he, he put this together for me, and I'm really grateful. Thank you, Aaron. All right, so what I'm going to look at here, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to read every aspect of this, but this is there for you to have as a resource. I want to, uh, I want to look at uh, the quote of each, the type quote, the motivating factor, and what you reflect. All right. Um, okay, so... Number one is called the reformer. Again, if you're not sure which you are, you had like two or three numbers that seem maybe close, pay attention to this and see if any of these are, are more resonant with you than the others. The reformer, there's a right way to do everything, and if the world would just get on board, it would be a better place. Yeah, motivating factors about midway down. Improvement and righteousness. And then healthy ones reflect God's hope. So one of the things you'll, you'll see about the Enneagram is it's not, it's not something to read if you want to feel good about yourself. <laughs> it's like standing under a fluorescent light in the doctor's office. Um, it's good for you. You discover things, but you don't go there for your warm fuzzies and for your you know, boost of self-esteem. However, you can look at it and say, well, this is something that God has created about me. This is something unique about me. And I want to latch on to the healthy things of this personality type that God has given me. So healthy ones reflect God's hope. They see how things can be. Number two, the helper. Twos know the needs of everyone and think they can meet them all single-handedly. They see people's emotional needs instinctively. Their motivating factor is to be affirmed as needed and loved. And healthy twos reflect God's humility through a willingness to help others. Number three, threes are the social butterfly. They know everyone and can adapt to any social setting to be the most popular person in that particular circle. Their motivating factor is success and to impress. 
And healthy threes reflect God's process of sanctification, uh, which I call conformity to the image of Christ as you grow into that. Four, the individualists. Fours value every emotion, even the sad ones, and can process and continue on with life while feeling everything. That's the superpower. All these have their own superpowers, I think. They view themselves as fundamentally different than others. To which we say, yes, you are unique, just like everybody else. Motivating factor. I'm just kidding, fours. Just kidding. I love you. Motivating factor, expressing individual significance. And healthy fours reflect God's uniqueness. Five, the investigator, also called the observer. Fives are the thinkers of the Enneagram. They observe everything through the lens of logic and understanding. They tend to find safety and knowledge. Fives have a much thicker wall between relationships than any other number and can be massively understood, misunderstood. Uh, my wife is a five. I know that when, when, we were, when she was pregnant with Maggie, uh, she just hit the books. She read all the books. What to, know, what to expect when you're expecting, uh, what to not expect when you're not expecting, how to make food when you're expecting, all the things, all the books. And Super Baby Food, she had this book where she'd learn how to feed the, the children nutrients and all that good stuff. So she would, she would just dive into study and preparation and understanding. And uh, so that's, that's something about fives. Their motivating factor is gaining knowledge and uncovering truth. And healthy fives reflect God's wisdom. Number six is the loyalist. Sixes need to know everything will be all right. Sixes make up the largest portion of the population. They have incredible judgment of the character of other people. Uh, I was listening to a podcast about uh, the types. And one of the things, as this points out, that uh, they are the largest portion of the population. One of the things that this says, uh, the, the podcast was, was keying on, is this fact that because, um, because sixes can can have fear stirred up somewhat easily, and because they make up such a huge part of the population, then they're susceptible to um, exploitation through uh, news reports or trends or campaign slogans or you know political ads, different things like that, um, and, and, and can respond in great fear. In fact, this woman was talking about this news report. She was watching a program on television, and all of a sudden, you know how the news will break in and say, coming up at 10, da 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 And this woman came on and talked about uh, this, this uh, disturbing trend of dishwashers exploding and setting houses on fire. And so <laughs> she says uh, she happened to be in Home Depot a couple of weeks later and was walking past the dishwashers. And out of curiosity, she went over to uh, one of the salesmen and says, um, hey, how have your dishwasher sales been the last two weeks? And he's like, unbelievable. And she says, have you noticed a spike in, in sales by a chance? And he says, I've done this 35 years. And even with sales and, and discounts and special offers, we've never sold as many dishwashers as we have in the past two weeks. And, and you know, it was people who saw that report and go, oh, our dishwasher's going to explode and set the house on fire. Let's get a new dishwasher. And so, uh, so I just say that to say um, it's not fair but that's how the game is played. That's how capitalism works. That's how the media works. That's how the news outlets work. Don't be a slave to fear. Be wise, be prudent. I mean, it, it's good to know if your dishwasher is gonna set your house on fire, but don't lay there in bed like three in the morning going, should I unplug the dishwasher? Honey, where's the dishwasher? It's in the neighbor's yard. I just, they're gonna come pick it up tomorrow. It's gonna be fine. All right, so. 
Anyway, but sixes have incredible judgment of character of, of the character of other people. Their motivating factor to know that they are a part of a group, to test how others feel about them, and to fight and avoid insecurity. Healthy sixes reflect God's faithfulness and loyalty. Sevens. Sevens are called the enthusiast. They're the life of every party. Fun-loving and always making you laugh. Woo, sevens. Always making you laugh. They often have a difficult time with confrontation because of the internal belief that conflict equals disconnection. Sevens' motivating factor is pleasure, never missing out on fun times and experiences. Healthy sevens reflect God's joy. Uh, eight, the challenger. Eights are the leaders of the Enneagram. They are immensely protective of others and have an internal justice system like no other. They shoot you straight. Eights know that confrontation is a means of developing relationships and testing to see if someone can stay faithful or loyal despite difficult times. Confident in who they are and challenging so you can be the best version of yourself. The motivating factor for eights is to prove their ability to accomplish and to remain in control of their own lives. And healthy eights reflect God's power. And number nine, the peacemaker. Nines are the most aware of any relational atmosphere. They're able to see multiple sides of every, to every conflict. They're the least judgmental and are able to see good in everyone. Fantastic listeners. By physical makeup, they are capable of taking naps at any time of the day. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You too, Linda? All right. Motivating factors to uh, bringing peace in any situation and relationship. And healthy nines reflect God's peace. Okay, so... Uh, there's a lot of information on there. I just hit on a few points on each, obviously. But go and look through those things. Again, Enneagram Institute has a very thorough um, unpacking of each type and, and, and the wings as well. Uh, basically, the wings are on either side of your number based on the, the, the diagram. Uh, like on, on the nine, there's an eight on one side and a one on the other. Um, and so your wing is one of those. And, and you can read the, the wings on either side to figure out uh, which one bears the most witness with you. Or maybe on the test that you've taken, you can see um, that uh, you scored really high on one of those things. So I feel like my one wing is very strong. Uh, I do feel overall I'm a nine, but I do feel that reformer thing kick in quite a bit, as I said, in traffic and in other times. Um, and then there are these things called triads. I don't want to go into great detail on triads, but basically uh, each of the three groups... Uh, each of the nine groups is broken up into three groups of three, and the triads are the instinctive or the gut triad, and that's eight nines and ones, and their underlying emotion that they, they feel when, uh, if there's a disruption to stability in any kind of way in their lives, some kind of crisis or whatever, the underlying emotional reaction is, is anger, okay? And they manifest it differently. Eights externalize their anger. They, they're, they're just fine telling everybody that they're angry or showing everybody that they're angry. Nine, forget or deny it. They're just like, nope, I'm not mad. What are you talking about? And they just kind of soldier on. Uh, ones, internalize it. Oh, they're angry, all right, but they're keeping it to themselves until they can't keep it to themselves anymore, and then, and then it's a mess. Uh, the, other, the other two triads, the feeling triad or the heart, the underlying emotion in response to like a disruption of stability is shame. Twos have uh, the ability to focus outward on the feelings of others. Threes have trouble recognizing their own feelings or others' feelings. And fours focus inwardly on their own feelings. And then the third triad is the thinking or the head triad. And the underlying emotional response to 
a disruption of stability is fear. Uh, five externalizes their fear. They, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about it. What are we going to do? Uh, six internalizes it. Oh my gosh, my dishwasher is going to explode. Um, the seven is like too much fun to be had. I'm not even, even going to think about that. I'm going to act like it's not there.